Welcome to Evidence-Based Aesthetics, where science meets clinical skincare. Today's clinicians are bombarded with sales tactics and marketing hype aimed at selling a cosmetic product, device, or service, often with little to no scientific research to back it up. Master Aesthetician Instructor Kristen Group and Dr. Larry Group use peer-reviewed research to investigate and discuss the latest trends, equipment, procedures, and products in medical aesthetics, while poking fun at extravagant claims, as well as each other. Evidence-Based Aesthetics is produced monthly and supplemented by a Facebook group and Instagram. Viewers and listeners are actively encouraged to submit questions and topics for discussion. And now your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. Welcome back to Med Spa Madness. You'd have to be crazy to open a med spa. We had touched earlier on uh, 1540 non-ablative fractional skin resurfacing. Let's jump into that as far as the modality, if you're going to consider incorporating a device like this into your practice. Uh, with the goods, the bads, the uglies, the alternatives, what you get out of it. You have one of these, right? I do. I've got a 1540. What do you do with it? <laughs> what could you do with it versus what you do do with it? Let's start with what you could do with it. What is it um, made to do? Well, it's it's a wavelength of light that is attractive to water, but not to the point to a, of ablation. So it's not like a, an erbium or a CO2. Um, so that's a non It's a non-ablative laser right with a non-specific chromophore yeah. which is water, water. Okay. Um, which the danger of that is is that everything has water so well, you, you don't really you can't do selective photothermolysis right because there's nothing selecting and no and and one of the things that some manufacturers sell their 1540 or 1440 or 1510 or whatever wave like it's all in the same area um, is for darker skin because it is attracted to water. The problem with that is, is a darker skin person can hyperpigment from the heat that's created right. as opposed to a wavelength of light that's actually attracted to color. So instead of what we're seeing is instead of the energy being attracted to the dark pigment or melanin, it's attracted to water, but it's the heat that's causing the hyperpigmentation yes. regardless of what it's attracted to. Yes, okay. unless you have to lower your setting so far down that nothing will happen so you'll you'll sacrifice efficacy to keep from pigmented thing and we do that i mean you know that's a good point we make with darker skin types anyway is that when we get to fives and sixes especially the sixes we're already doing that but if we have choices of modalities the way that particular wavelengths work versus you know we have a, a wavelength that's attracted to pigment versus a wavelength that's attracted to water we do have a little bit more wiggle room for efficacy using the ones that are attracted to water yeah, and I mean, the, the pigment that can be created is usually transient, but it could be about six months. Um, and each time they do a treatment, they could be getting more hyperpigmentation or PIH. So, I mean, what I use mine for, one, I teach with it, um, but two, I think it's it's the one that I have, um, it's a 1540, and I use it on stretch marks. I think it's better on newer stretch marks to drop the redness out of it. newer, like... like you're saying that ones that the stretch marks that still have that sort of red, yes, angry red look or purple look. Yes. Right. So you might not be getting rid of the stretch mark, but by getting rid of that color, it makes the stretch mark less noticeable. And this gets rid of the color, you're saying? It can, yeah. Okay. So you, t you mentioned darker skin types, but obviously this can be used on any skin type. Yes. yes. So what, what would, again, what would be the main things you would use at 1544? You own a med spa, you're deciding on what to buy, you want to do what with it so you'd buy this particular type of a device? Um, well, people use it for skin rejuvenation to help with fine lines, acne, scarring, stretch marks, or scar revision is what it's normally used for. All right. So I'm guessing the mechanism of action is some sort of, uh, we heat up we denature the collagen and it, it shrinks up. Is that yes. what, kind of what we're saying? Yes. Okay. So uh, 
we see on our slide here, which are obviously our, our uh, podcast people can't see, but we have a 1440 and a 1510, and there's the generic 1540. Why change up the wavelengths like that? Well, it just depends on the manufacturer. What do they want to produce? So what you're saying, though, is that there's a, there must be some sort of peak on the coefficient for water but in it's, that area. But it's, it's, it's around 1500. Okay. So getting away from that peak means we're, being, we're having less attractions. So we're making it safer but less effective. That's basically what we're saying when we get away be. from that peak. Yeah. Right? Okay. So if you were going to purchase one of these devices, do they, do they just have a 1540 device or is this a handpiece you add to another platform or how it's, does it work? It's a handpiece usually that you buy to add into another or into a platform. Okay. Um, what, what sort of platforms? Give me some examples. Um, Icon. So Hologix. Okay, so now it was Palomar, then Sinusure, now Hologix. Um, they make a 1540 for their Icon. Um, Luminous makes the Resurfix, which is on their M22. Cyton okay. um, has their Pro Fractional. Um, and there's quite a few. I mean, Qterra, what is this, the Pearl? No, the Pearl, sorry, it's an Erbium. Um, so there's quite a few different choices you could have if you wanted to. So as we've talked before, this is one of these, in, in most cases, you're going to buy the standalone unit for 100000 and then you're going to have to buy another handpiece. Correct. In this particular, well, how much was your handpiece? 65000 $65,000. So you have to buy the $100,000 unit or more, and then a $65,000 handpiece. Yes. Is there other technologies or modalities we could use that would sort of mimic or achieve the same thing? Um, that we would use instead of this. Microneedling. But microneedling doesn't use heat. No. So you're not going to get the skin tightening part. No, of it, but right? we're going to treat acne scars, our wrinkles, our scar revision. It's easier for the client to tolerate because it's not quite as painful. Okay. Um, and there's less downtime. Also, don't we have the issue with we can use it on, on darker skin types without having to lose that efficacy because mm -hmm. we're not using heat. Heat's no. the enemy of that particular thing. Correct. But at the same time, we need the heat to do the, the skin tightening. Correct. So if you're going to do skin tightening, microneedling without the RF microneedling is not going to cut that. But it's also gonna, it will help for things like the, uh, the wrinkles, the scarry vision, and the acne scars. Yes. If you want to do skin tightening, though, what else would you use that you could use besides a – making decisions now about what to buy. Could you, what about like RF microneedling? Mm -hmm. is, is that a solution? It is. So in this particular case, you have both of these technologies. Correct. So which one do you use more and why? The RF microneedling um, because it's easier, more easily tolerated. What about the, the notion of insulated needles? Does that help us out at all when we're talking about the skin tightening and darker skin types? Well, if you've got a darker skin type, yes, because you're able to focus the energy actually down into the dermis. So you're going to bypass the epidermis Correct. where the melanocytes are. Yes. So therefore, even though there's still heat involved, the heat's probably deep enough that we tend to have less, not necessarily no, but less hyperpigmentation yes. with a insulated RF microneedling Correct. system. Okay. Because this, that it's burning all the way through the epidermis down into the dermis. Got it. Okay. Um, acne scars. So we just specifically, that seems to be sort of a hot topic of things to do. Our, what are our choices, again, for what we could do? We could do some sort of chemical peel. Does that help at all? Not really. I'm just going to run through them here. A regular non-RF microneedling. Does that help with acne scars? Yes. Definitely. Okay. Um, how about RF microneedling for acne scars? Yes. Okay. The fractional, the 1540, the fractional skin resurfacing, obviously that works. Yes. When, not to go completely off topic, but when would we, would, would we consider a 
ablative fractional versus a non-ablative when we're talking about acne scars? Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, when they first had the fully like ablative 1064, I'm sorry, 10,600, so not the fractional one, I didn't really see good results. When you say 10,600, so you're talking so about CO2. CO2. You're talking about CO2. Yeah, okay, so CO2 yeah. and an erbium is what they were using. An erbium is 2940. Correct. So those are our two things. Yeah. The CO2 and the erbium are ablative. Yes. They still see water, but they see water a, a lot, lot better. So they're That's really they attracted to and they yes. burn up the tissue. Go ahead. Yes. So when they first came out, I didn't really see good results on acne scarring. And part of it is because they were leveling... They're taking the surface of the skin and taking the whole thing down. So like the indentations, the atrophic scars kind of maintained exactly where they were. It's just everything. It got dropped above yeah. it. And the real issue was the fact that in an atrophic scar, it's the very bottom of the lesion. That's the issue. So if somehow you could treat from the bottom up instead of from yeah. the top down, you would have done better. Yes. So using an ablative laser for acne scars, there's a lot better modalities now that can be used more often. Um, and have less downtime. So it is not my choice. Okay. Um, I mean, there's so many other options. I mean, back 15 years ago, it was one of the only options. We've right. gone past that now. We have lots of other options that are better choices for both the practitioner and the patient. So from a monetary standpoint, this particular technology is, is somewhat expensive. Now, we talked about the fact that you had to buy the unit and then the handpiece. Are there standalone 10, 6, or 1540 systems out there? There there was for a while. There was a little Emerge uh -huh. that um, Palomar made that, that was a painful little bugger. <laughs> I hated that device because um, it just hurt so bad. Um, I don't really think so. Okay. So they're when, usually hand pieces. You're a med spa owner. You're listening to us now. You're about to be a med spa owner. You're looking at equipment. Skin tightening is an important service. Obviously, there's a lot of call for it. But there are other technologies that would be less money, right, that would achieve the same thing and maybe some other things. Again, we're agnostic. We don't care what you buy, don't buy. We're just talking about the technology and what you've done in your med spot, which made sense, is you have a 1540 because back in the day, if you could say that, mm -hmm. that's what you had to work with. With the advent of RF microneedling, um, it seems like you're able to achieve the same exact things, do other things, and spend less money. RF microneedling machine ranges anywhere from, say, 90, 100K on the high end, all the way down to maybe 60-ish. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're not getting away with a 1540 without at least just a handpiece 65 and then whatever you pay for your unit. Yeah. So something to consider. You could buy the hand – say you own the unit already. You bought the console. You bought a $65,000 uh, or even a used one. Um you basically can just do the things that this 1540 can do. Whereas you can spend that same amount of money by an RF microneedling system and do lots of other things besides still just... still free up this machine, so you could have two rooms running. That, that's a good point. Okay. Um, well, let's move on here. Okay, well, I, I jumped ahead, but we're going to talk about ablative resurfacing now. So, again, the wavelengths of this is 2940 nanometers, and the CO2 is 10,600, and there's another peak way up there, too, if I remember. Right. No, this is just basically 2940 and the um, uh, 10,600. So on the coefficient curve. So what we're saying is is that, that at these wavelengths, these particular wavelengths are, are very attracted to water, and they're going to do what to the skin? They're going to vaporize the tissue because they're going to see the water. So the peak, the highest peak 
for the absorption coefficient in water is 3,000 nanometers. So it's just 60 off of that 2940. So the 2940 is more attracted to water than the CO2. Okay. Um, but basically, as soon as they see water, which is what they're going to see as soon as it sees the skin, they're going to ablate it. So it's basically it's going to vaporize burning the from tissue. the top down. Yeah, you're so going you're to vaporize the tissue. The, the, the idea is that you're going to strip away the epidermis and in some cases part of the dermis. Depending on to how do deep what they go. though? What's the what's the goal of this particular treatment? You know, what, what sort of conditions would you use this? Because you've used it. It's, it's, so I think it's somewhat overused in people with good skin. Okay. Um, where it's where I think it works the best is somebody who's got a lot of environmental damage. Maybe they're smokers. Maybe they lay out in the sun, didn't take care of their skin, didn't wear. So solar elastosis to the point where we have where you've got heavy, heavy wrinkles and all that, um, and a lot of discoloration. Um, I think it does a nice job with that. I mean, somebody that's with skin like mine, it's, it's overkill. You're not going to get enough. There's better modalities to work on my skin. But well, it's, again, we're making the decision of what equipment to buy. How many, you have one of these, you have a mm -hmm. CO2. How many times in your practice do you use a blade of resurfacing versus the other modality? Because you, you know, if you had unlimited war chest that you can buy whatever you want, it doesn't matter. But if you have to make decision making, like I can only afford two machines, how high up is an ablative resurfacing machine on what you're doing? Very low. When do you think more someone like a dermatologist or someone who's doing a lot of that type of, you know, not necessarily corrective, but but significantly corrective work? to the point of surgery would be a better fit for someone that like that? Better plastics. I okay. mean, they use it in plastics, especially with facelifts and stuff like that, and they'll do a, a resurfacing right after the facelift. Um, so I think that is a good use of it. And honestly, one of the best uses of it is for burn victims. Um, yeah, all those things. Now, from the legality point, we're talking about Arizona law, but just generally, something that's ablative, obviously you're gonna have to have more supervision to it because it has more uh, chances for adverse events. So in the state of Arizona, the only people that can use an ablative device are who? Um, doctors, RNs, and PAs. Okay, so even a laser tech, even with supervision, theoretically cannot use this device. It, well, it depends. So there's something called a laser peel. I was going to get into that. Um, so what is the laser peel? A laser peel? peel is you're going very, 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 very superficially into the tissue. So, Can you control that? Um, it's it's difficult. It's it's difficult to control the depth of a device that's attracted to water because depending on how much water's in the tissue is going to depend on how much it blades each time. What, what is an example of a laser peel device that you know that's been effectively used that somehow stayed or are attempted to stay within the scope of practice? Of the profractional. Okay. Oh, is there so, one from Cytan? That's it. Oh, that's profractional. Yeah. Okay. So how expensive is that machine? <laughs> the list on it's 300000 They usually go for about 180 Can you do other things with it? Yeah. You okay. can do photofacials. You can do hair reduction. I mean, it's 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 a good device. Um, it's very well built. It's just super, super expensive. If you talk to the reps, they call themselves the Bugatti of the laser sure. world. Right. Um, and well, it is. CO2, like, like a standalone out-of-the-box CO2, if you will, isn't a particularly expensive device now. There's a lot of them out there. There's... In my opinion, CO2s are CO2s. They're, they're, the scanner technology may differ from that, but you know these devices, are, there's no magical formula that makes one box better than another. Sometimes it has to do with, obviously, the warranty, how good the equipment is as far as, like, as a maintenance standpoint. But from the technology, there's not much difference between CO2 from company A and company B. Yeah? Not usually because there's no cooling system involved. Right. Cooling systems on, on other IPL and lasers, that's where you really start looking at different price points and how good is the cooling system. Since you don't need a cooling system on these devices, um, that's taken out of it, so it's pretty just straightforward ablation. Okay, let's jump in just quickly because CO2 has some other things you can do with it. Um, 
there's that whole vaginal rejuvenation thing. We probably mm-hmm. need to talk about that because that seems to be a fairly hot topic. And there's also been some a controversial topic with the FDA, which doesn't necessarily always get it right. But let's have that discussion. So both the 2940 and the CO2 ablative lasers have, there are devices out there that can be adapted by a, either a handpiece or some type of probe or something that you can use it to do vaginal rejuvenation. How does that whole thing work? <laughs> or not work, but I mean, what, what's the premise of it? Basically, what you're trying to do is create micro columns of heat in the vaginal wall um, that will encourage it to be thickened. So you want it to thicken up and also increase the lubrication. Um, so you're you're ablating the inside of the vaginal, uh, the vagina, the vaginal cavity, or vaginal bulb. Now. My understanding is the FDA has certain clearances for things, but somehow it's being used for other things. My, I, I can't remember what the clearance is. Is it for SUI or is it for... I, I don't believe it's I think for it's SUI. the other way around. Right? I think people are using it for SUI as off-label, yeah. but it's actually being cleared for, if I remember right, uh, I don't know. reconstruction of the vagina. If I remember yeah. reading, it's just reconstructing it. And basically that's somewhat of a loose definition. What's interesting about the FDA, just real quickly, is back when these devices were first out CO2, since it's an older device, it seems like the clearances are much easier to get, and they basically generically threw things in like reconstruction. Those clearances never got like re-updated. Once you get your clearance, you don't have to re-update it so much. You just have to you know, pay your fee to register your device. So basically, you're, you're having some, because the CO2 is an older device, you're getting some of the indications that are kind of very generic, like reconstruction. So you could say that, I guess, reconstructing the inside is considered to be reconstruction, even though we would normally think of that as excising tissue. Yeah. Well, it's also, in case people don't know, SUI is stress urinary incontinence. Um, basically, you have babies, and then you have to pee all the time, whether you cough, sneeze, whatever, you have to pee. Um, and I've actually had CO2 uh, treatments done, three of them, for SUI. Everybody knows I had well, not everybody, but most people should know I had twins 27 years ago. Um, therefore, I, no matter what I do, I have a problem with SUI. Um, so it did actually work. Um, now, it is one of those things that you have to continue on with it, just like everything. You have to continually get every year you just have like to, any every, every year you have to keep Because it, it. it regenerates and regrows, and now that, that tightened tissue is being replaced by untightened tissue. Yeah, right? so... Um, it did work well, but it is one of those things that, you know, you continue on. But just like everything, I mean, every day you wake up, it's a gift. Every day you wake up, you age. So if someone wants to incorporate this uh, vaginal tightening thing, is there, do you have to be a gynecologist to do this procedure? You should be in women's health. But but do you have to be? Because I see a lot of med spas out there offering it with people that are you not do, well, in women's health. It's, a lot of them are doing it that have no business doing it actually but if they're um, licensed to do I'm, I'm just pushing back from my end of this if they're licensed to do something and there's nothing saying they can't do it i'm not saying they should or shouldn't but they legally can do they it. legally can do it but okay. i always tell people if you can't look up and do the inside of a vagina and know what every part is you shouldn't be doing it i, I agree um so people making a decision about whether or not a co2 or a 2940 inervium is the right choice if you had to sort of rank that as the, the machines that are on your must-have list is this a machine on your must-have list for a med spa no and why is that i mean we talked about a little bit basically there's other machines that are more important if we had a limited budget let's say our budget is two hundred thousand, which is a lot would the co2 make it in that budget for you if you were opening no. up a med spa or advising someone to open a med no. spa 
Uh, no, and it, because one, it has to be administered by a certain health professional. Okay. Um, two, that person also needs to be able to write prescriptions because you need, may need prescriptions afterwards to deal with the to deal with the swelling and, and or the, just the normal, just what you, what you look like. Okay. Um, it's also one of those modalities that it's basically it's taking your epidermis off. So you really have to look at your skin type. Um, ones, twos, threes, very light fours. Can't use it on fives or sixes or hypopigment the heck out of them. Right. Um, and it's one of those things that you can't do, like my hair reduction, photofacial, skin tightening, I'm doing on, you know, microneedling, I'm doing on a monthly basis for most of my patients. This could be a one and done yeah. for yeah. years. So now you've got to find another patient that you need to work on it with. So there's so many other things that come into play whether deciding to bring this in. I mean, I said where I see it a lot and it's effective, dermatologists, plastic surgeons. So maybe in their office, their practice they have it, but the med spa usually doesn't have it because the med spa usually has somebody like me running the laser right. and I'm not able to do this laser. Yeah, and we're talking about the corrective things. Not, not that you couldn't do corrective things with uh, like microneedling, but this is an ablative laser has a very specific focus mm -hmm. of taking down the surface, and you'd almost have to be at the level to be able to either have been the person who put those or those scars there, or knew what you or know what, all mm -hmm. about that to deal with it. From a profitability standpoint, is this a particularly profitable procedure? Well, you're usually getting about two to three thousand dollars a procedure. But but as you're saying, sometimes it's one and done. That the patient can't have one every four to six weeks. No, they can so... have one maybe every four to six years, maybe. Yeah, I mean, some people are doing them every other year or every year. I'm not a fan of that. Um, but when you look at 3,000 a person, how many people do you have to do to get through the cost of and, the device? And, and you, as you're saying, too, if we look at our population pool, our patient pool, how many people are a candidate for this sort of a procedure? Probably um, fairly low. Very, amount. very low. And, and right. the patients that come to see me. Whereas everyone's a candidate for hair reduction. Almost everyone. Almost. Your blondes and redheads are, are not. And gray only. can't do it. Right. But I mean, as far as like the ability to do something, that there's very few people relative to your patient population who are coming to a med spa for meds, medical spa type treatments that would have a need for this particular device. They would probably have already gone to a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist. Yeah. And it really should be because it is um, an aggressive treatment. Um, with downtime, you really do need to have the supervision from a physician. Um, yeah, I mean, they either available. need to do it or be there on site. Just real quick, because I have a question. The laser peel versus the carbon facial. I know they're not the same thing. Can no. they achieve the same thing? One's more aggressive. How does it work? Well, the laser peel is going after the water. So you're going to get probably a tiny bit of skin tightening with it. Um, you might get some surface textural change with the carbon facial. You're using the Q-Switch 1064 or you can use a Pico. Um, and the carbon mask is actually what is attracting the 1064. It's acting like pigment. Yes. So it's more of, um, you know, you see the complexion looks better. The pore size looks smaller temporarily. Um, so it's more of a brightening kind okay. of treatment is what I call it, as opposed to there's no downtime with it. Um, so it's a little bit more forgiving than what we have um, with the even the micro peel. The micro peel, even if you're only going a few microns down, you're still going to get swelling. You're still going to have um, some downtime with it with resins and um, also edema. Could you also achieve the same thing as a laser peel, just do, doing a normal superficial chemical peel? Would yeah. you not do the same darn thing? Yeah, you have to live through the skin falling off. Right. But I mean, you're going to either have red 
looking skin or your skin is going to be peeling in a couple of days. I'm bringing this up because people say, well, this laser peel sounds great. They have to spend how much money to get one of these devices. Yeah. But you could achieve this with chemical peel. Mm -hmm. You could achieve this with uh, dermaplaning and maybe some microneedling. Yeah, that's, that's kind of pushing it. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to take off. I mean, you're going to take off a little bit of the stratum corneum. So maybe. But the superficial chemical peel would yes. definitely work. Okay. Yeah. So there's other ways to achieve some of these same things mm -hmm. without having to buy a specific device. And that's the yes. whole point of this is that you don't necessarily have to buy a device to do something. Figure out what you want, what conditions you want to treat. Look at what treatments are out there and then sort of coordinate when you look at your budget. What machines are going to get me the biggest bang for my mm -hmm. buck to do the most amount of things? One thing that we should probably stress is that when you're opening up a med spa, you can't possibly offer all services to all people. To try to do that what would be would probably, you know, break the bank and you'd probably go out of business. Oh, I need to be, have a tattoo laser just in case I want to do tattoos. I need to have an ablative laser in case I want to do a vaginal technique. You, you want to figure out that the whole uh, idea that 20% of your patients probably lead to about 80 to 90% of your profit, which means same idea is 20% of your procedures are probably leading to 80% of your profits. What are the most profitable procedures that you can do? And get out of your mind that you have to be able to do every single thing out there Focus on, on core areas that make more money. What what two most pro, like most popular in my or right. most profitable? Microneedling and dermaplaning. Right. My cost per procedure is super low and my return on it is really high and it's a really non aggressive, very addicting treatment. Now if you wanted to do photo if you want to treat browns and reds though, you're gonna to need to get an IPO. Yes. And then if you want to do skin tightening, you need to do something that can do skin tightening, which some type of RF. So either be RF microneedling, RF type device that's you know not the microneedling, or you could do with a fifteen forty fractional. Okay, let's move ahead here. Let's do one more technology. This, this idea of what things call a skin system, and I think the other one's like a we call it lamb probe. Is that so what they have? So it's a it's usually RF and and high frequency, um, and they've got a little tiny probe that looks like a needle. So you've got skin system, skin classic. Thermalo, Thermoclear, and Lampro. Lampro was probably the first one. Okay. Um, so what you're using it for is like small, superficial um, things that people don't like, such vessels. So alar vessels around the side of the nose that works nice on um, telangiectasia. Like little, little yeah, capillaries. Yeah, so telangiectasias, um, cherry angiomas, and then you can also, depending on the probe, remove um, skin tags and things like that. Okay. Uh, note about skin tags. If you don't know that it's for sure a skin tag, don't oh, move okay. it. <laughs> Send them to a derm. I know my sister had one that I thought was a skin tag, and she met a derm on the beach. <laughs> what is this? Said, hey, doc, what is this? And it's a fibroma. Which theoretically we remove the same. But yeah, yeah. you don't want to get out of your scope that way. Imagine no. if you remove something that was... And we don't remove moles. Was, yeah, we definitely don't do moles. I know the there's things, people out there, estheticians that are doing that. You yeah, need to stop. That's a problem because if one of those moles is cancerous and you didn't biopsy and they have cancer, then that's on yeah, you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's out of our scope of practice. Thing. I mean, we go to the shows and you go to the and they're removing moles and I'm like yeah that's not me got it um there's one other device and, and you'll know it it's uh it does the same thing but it's a laser uh, is it like a 910 or 980 what is it it's like a little mini handheld laser oh um it just it's instead of using a metal probe it uses an actual laser beam but it's i think it's 980 so um it's diode a diode laser that is attracted to blood Okay, so it's the same thing as the RF, but it's a laser. Yes, but you can't do skin tags with it. You could do vessels with Got it, it, though. Got it. Okay, I remember on, in dentistry we have dental lasers. I've got three watt little lasers that are 810 diodes that let us do all kinds of stuff, burn off tissue and things like that. Um, 
But what I noticed is that the tissue isn't wet. It tended to not work very well. You almost have to kind of wet the tissue down to get it to do anything. And then lick the chops. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. So, well, thanks for listening to this episode of Med Spa Madness. Uh, we appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, stay tuned for more episodes or more series coming from us. Thanks for listening to the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast with your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. For more discussion and information on all things aesthetic, be sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on our Instagram page. We look forward to sharing the next exciting episode of the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast.